Hi, I'm Mike Sibley. And I'm Carrie Boynton. We're the leaders of the James Moore Manufacturing Team. On this episode of Moore Manufacturing, we're joined by Chris Tolland, the Executive Vice President of Foundation Risk Partners, here to discuss risk management for manufacturers. So Chris, what are the risks or misses you're seeing for coverage on manufacturers? Very nice to see you today, Carrie and Mike, um, and thank you for the question. Um, yeah, you know, we've noticed that there have been a lot of um, coverage misses and, and frankly, those coverage misses often cost the insured little to no premium to rectify or, or add very valuable coverage to a respective program. So one of those areas, and we recently had a, um, a client that, uh, that luckily had the right coverage but did have an issue in this area, um, would be as respects equipment breakdown coverage being part of the overall property program. So as we are probably aware, property insurance is designed to cover direct physical losses, right? First party losses. So an example of a direct physical first party loss would be lightning striking a manufacturing facility, right? That ensuing damage would always uh, typically be addressed by a, a a standard property coverage form. However, when the cause of loss is indirect, such as a power surge, for example, um, caused by, let's say, hypothetically, Florida Power and Light doing work on the lines, the overhead transmission lines a mile away from the um, subject facility, um, and when they hook everything back up, a power surge is sent uh, through the overhead transmission lines and um, damages irreparably computerized equipment within uh, the manufacturing facility. That's, that risk specifically is not always covered by a property insurance policy and an equipment breakdown coverage endorsement or even a monoline equipment breakdown coverage form would address that, uh, would address that specific cause of loss. So the other thing that's interesting to note when it comes to equipment breakdown coverage is resulting business income or business interruption losses are also covered. So generally speaking, equipment breakdown is going to cover those indirect physical losses. And um, while property insurance is gonna cover damages caused by a covered direct physical loss, such as the fire example that we, we spoke of earlier. Um, it's also interesting to note that um, equipment breakdown will cover damages from internal forces such as power surges or electrical shorts um, or a mechanical breakdown such as motor burnout or even operator error. Um, and again, the typical cost for equipment breakdown uh, insurance is typically around 5% of what the overall property premium uh, would be. So in terms of a claim scenario, um, if you're a manufacturer, your business will suffer if the power A goes out, right? Because your equipment doesn't work when the power's not on. And let's say, heaven forbid, that your equipment is damaged by a power surge. Um, that would also um, cause us to experience a loss. We would not be able to perform manufacturing operations, right? Um, in the event that our equipment was damaged due to that power surge. And, um, you know, in that type of an example, equipment breakdown insurance would cover your business income loss from when the power was out, in addition to the cost to repair or replace any damaged manufacturing equipment, including labor and time costs. Um, 
Another piece of, of low-hanging fruit, which is particularly impactful for manufacturing operations, would be requesting a manufacturer selling price um, valuation endorsement on your standard property program. So normally your property program is going to have what we call replacement cost valuation, which means if your covered property is damaged by a covered cause of loss, the insurance company has the obligation to repair or replace that damaged property with new property of like kind and quality, right? So manufacturer selling price is a really inexpensive endorsement. Oftentimes underwriters in the manufacturing space um, will provide this coverage at no additional premium, um, but it can save that manufacturer big money in the event of a loss. So the cost of products differs from business to business. So as a manufacturer, a great example of this is product stock that you would hold for sale. The value of that stock, which may or may not be finished, right, lies not only in its cost of its parts, but also in what you'll eventually sell it for, also known as your profit, right? So um, under most insurances, profit is not um, covered, right? But carrying a manufacturer selling price valuation product um, for inventory and stock would actually ensure that your stock is not only replaced with like kind and quality stock, but it's going to provide you indemnification for the profit component that you've lost, right? So in other words, it's the sum of all parts. A third item, which we all- Hey, Chris, before you, before you go there, just stepping back for a second, you know, you've, you've just hit on a good number of things that these manufacturers could be missing out on. How, how do you, before you get into that last piece, how do you recommend, you know, for a, for a manufacturer to say, do I have this? Do I not have this? How do I even identify some of these things with, with what I've got going on with my policies now? Yeah, well, one really way to do that, uh, really good way to do that, Mike, is to ask the agent or the broker that you work with to perform um, analytics to determine um, what the language in your policy specifically says, right? The insurance world is very confusing. The language and the terminology, um, it's, it's we, we jokingly refer to it as insurance ease, right? It oftentimes doesn't make a lot of sense unless, you, um, unless you're being exposed to it repeatedly over and over um, like we are every day. Um, so again, that leaves the potential for things to fall between the cracks and, um, you know, uh, again, a good way to understand what's in your policy is not while you're in the quoting phase looking to ensure that your carrier is giving you a fair price or vetting other potential insurance carriers for your renewal, but mm -hmm. after you've renewed your policy to take a step back and have your agent perform gap analytics to determine if there are things that can be improved within the, within the program or um, whether the program has all of those components um, such as we've referenced. Do you ever sit down with them and just say, what can go wrong in a manufacturing facility? And just ask those questions to be able to get that risk, because all of this is obviously about risk management, right? And, you know, God, you know, God forbid somebody loses their inventory. And like you said, hey, you've just, you've got this profit component. So you've built up this these goods and you, you've lost out on that. but do you ever just sit with them and say, hey, what can go wrong? And that seems to me from a risk management standpoint, a good way to kind of just brainstorm to make sure you are covered, to make sure that you're not, 
you don't run into issues that are unforeseen as well. Mike, once once again, you, you've hit the nail on the head. So all an insurance policy is, is a promise to pay when things go wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So it's important to understand not only what's covered by the program, but I would contest more importantly, it's important to understand what's not covered by the program. Right, right. Exactly. Well, and that's exactly where the risk management is. And, you know, my thought process is we want to make sure everybody understands, hey, here's here's the level of risk you are taking. So if if something does happen, if it's not covered, you're willing to say, yes, I think that's unlikely or I can handle that cost if I needed to, as opposed to insuring for it. And Mike, one way that we analyze that is um, basically using a scale of frequency versus severity, right? So something, um, and, and basically we, we can graphically mark the likelihood, right, um, that, that an item will occur, right? So there are some items which don't occur very often, but when they do, such as a hurricane, right, mm -hmm. obviously you can experience very catastrophic, severe damage. There are other items um, which are essentially oftentimes inherent risks of a certain operation, right, which are very high in frequency, but very low in severity. And that's where items like deductibles and self-insured retentions come into play, where you can actually, as the insured, balance out, you know, uh, according to your appetite for risk, right, um, mm -hmm how much or how little and what types of events you wish to insure against. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it actually makes perfect sense. And of course, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, well, we are one of the lightning capitals and you happen to bring that up as, but you were sharing a story with us before of an actual situation of a power, uh, of a power situation that, that was detrimental to the, to the business. And maybe, maybe you could just share that just because it is an interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so we have a uh, we we have a client, um, and that particular client purchased a standard property program from a very reputable AM Best A-rated insurance company. Their program did not, um, um, at the time, cover equipment breakdown insurance, and um, they had exactly the situation that we were describing um, in the in the beginning of our call. Um, where they had a power surge, which actually damaged equipment, which was um, seven-figure type equipment. They had a whole hundred thousand dollars sublimit of insurance for a, you know, in excess of a one million dollar loss. Um, it was very unfortunate for that particular insured, and they found a new agent, um, Foundation Risk Partners, in this circumstance um, mm -hmm. after that incident had occurred. Um, because they were not aware that their program would not cover um, that off-premises power surge that damaged that very expensive equipment. Well, and if you think about it too, from a manufacturing standpoint, we've got a number of clients who, some of them make their own equipment. They have their own equipment that they've, or they've tweaked it, or they've got it to, or it's very specialized in something that is not something you just go out, you know, you don't run down to the store and pick up a new piece of equipment. So if you've got piece of equipment that goes down not are you talking about cost replacement but your production is 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 stopped uh at that point and so you could be weeks perhaps you know with a production issue that's absolutely true and 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 again that's where that business income component comes into play and business income will gener generally indemnify and insured for their for their net profits that they've lost because of that covered cause of loss 
they're mm -hmm. continuing normal operating expenses. Those are those expenses that don't go away even after you've experienced that covered cause of loss, which prohibits that insured from being able to operate. So equipment leases is a great example of a continuing normal operating expense. Even though that manufacturer can't operate at the time, right? Um, they're still required to make those um, equipment lease payments to keep that equipment, right? Mm -hmm. They don't go away even though the insured isn't operating. And then thirdly, there's other extra expenses which come into play when said covered cause of loss is experienced, which would not otherwise have been incurred except for the covered cause of loss. So an example of that would be a piece of equipment that's damaged in that scenario that we just ran through, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's possible that the insurance company could source another piece of equipment right for use in the interim while that damaged piece of equipment is um is repaired or replaced so that the insured's loss is minimalized um well and so you know really what you know I'm, I'm thinking about this as you're as you're speaking going okay this is another component of your risk management assessment when you look at your equipment that you're using is it something that you can very quickly replace and get up and moving again or is it something that's very specialized, very difficult, and and that may really tell you which direction you need to go with your with with the amount of risk you're willing to take in this situation. You're you're exactly right, and that's why those consultative type calls with your broker when you're not talking about your insurance renewal become um, very important because often it's during those risk strategy type meetings that these types of issues come to light, right? Um, so that that's um, that's exactly why we would encourage that type of a sit down um, as opposed to only looking at an account when it's in the you know marketing phase and the renewal phase. So what kind of things? Oh, go ahead, Carrie. I see that you're going to pop. Well, in. I was just going to pivot a little bit and ask Chris if there's anything that manufacturers should be looking for during the pandemic in terms of risk management. Yeah, so so one thing, Carrie, also a really good question that um, that I think manufacturers should generally be aware of, um, and, and I will contact this by saying I've noted that many of our manufacturing clients, and, and it's my understanding many manufacturers across the country are opportunistically, if they've already got the equipment, et cetera, to be able to manufacture PPE-type equipment, um, there are um, contracts available. PPE is in very high demand and manufacturers have um, been looking to take advantage of that opportunity, right? Um, in the insurance marketplace, however, there are some carriers that are specifically targeting those that are manufacturing PPE and some that are, are, are shying away from it. So if you're with a carrier who does not have an appetite for um, the manufacture of PPE type equipment like hand sanitizer or masks, for example, right? And at let's say audit, it's determined that we were manufacturing hand sanitizer, masks, or other PPE that what wouldn't normally be contemplated by that by that business under normal circumstances, it possibly could lead to a to a non-renewal by that carrier. Now, that doesn't mean that if a claim were to be experienced in that realm of PPE manufacturing, that the claim wouldn't be covered. However, you may have a very long and productive relationship with an insurance company that you don't want to lose. And um, you may be forced out of that relationship by virtue of, of undertaking one of those 
PPE manufacturing endeavors. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace as a whole as to what insurers' responsibilities will be ultimately when it comes to um, to COVID, right? And because of that uncertainty, you get carriers doing different things in the market where some will target that class of business and others are gonna say right off the bat, we wanna stay away from that, um, that, that, that operation. So if I'm a manufacturer that pivoted, I needed to stay in business, I just went in full bore and started making PPE because that's what the need was at the time. And maybe I'm still, maybe I'm still making it, but I never talked to my insurance company. What, what should I, should I call my, what should I do? Yes, it would be my advice to to call the broker, explain the situation. Sometimes you can, you know, if 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 the carrier's stance is a firm no, um, that they don't want this, but you're willing to um, take a slap on the wrist and admit that, hey, we should have asked for permission here. Um, but instead, um, you know, again, we got a little ahead of our, ourselves. Um, you know, oftentimes I've always found that um, it, it's it's hard to over communicate with a carrier, and it's it's odd because ironically, um, folks often think that you know I don't I, I want to tell the insurance company as little as possible, and actually your broker is a conduit of information, and the more information that you give to your broker, the more comfortable an underwriter gets with your risk, right? So an underwriter's natural inclina inclination when they don't understand something is to say no, we're not comfortable with that, right? So oftentimes providing more information, the why and the how and et cetera, will actually make an underwriter more comfortable with um, that particular operation, which they weren't comfortable with previously. Yeah, so, you know, we always kind of joke around, you know, for business, they need to have their accountant, their banker, their attorney, but really it, there's a fourth and maybe other industries might have other kind of looks at that, but that's, you know, but really it's, it's, it's your broker. You know, you've got to be having that relationship. So it actually, all this discussion says, how often should we be meeting with our, you know, as a manufacturer, certainly it sounds like any, if we have a change in operations or a change in product or something, but how often should we be having these conversations about where we're going, what risk we might have, you know, uh, obviously renewal policy time, like you said, people tend to say, give me, let's see what the price looks like. But sounds like, you know, when we're having changes in operations or changes in process or something like that, we should be having a conversation with with the broker as well. Mike, you're, you're once again exactly right. Um, um, it, it, you can never over communicate with your with your broker. And um, we would recommend at a minimum um, you know, one additional meeting other than your your renewal meetings, right? Now, it's going to vary by organization. And, um, you know, again, different brokers will accommodate um, different requests. Um, many of our clients request, for example, quarterly claims meetings, right? Especially when they're running a claims temperature or there's a couple of losses that are hanging on that are open, um, which obviously have the ability to affect the business, the renewal cost, et cetera. Um, you know, perhaps more frequently um, makes sense. As a general rule of thumb, your broker will make him or herself available um, on an as-needed basis. Great. Well, Chris, is there, is there any anything else, uh, any other last bits of information you might want to share? Well, if it's not too much, there was one other coverage item which which I think might be um, might be relevant for uh, for manufacturers, and it's um, it was um, previously a a little known sort of secret in the insurance industry, 
um, but it's 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 called stock throughput coverage. So um, most or many manufacturers cover their contents, which would include inventory and stock, through a standard property contents program, right? There's another form available in the marketplace, and the cost is is very comparable to what you're paying for your property contents coverage. And um, what that policy form will basically cover is your inventory and the flow of goods from the source of production to its final destination. So whether that's at a place of storage or a retail store, et cetera. So stock throughput policies are typically designed for companies that import, distribute, or export merchandise or material, right? Which many of our manufacturing operations have that component um, to the business. And the policy essentially provides cover for all movable goods known as inventory, including those raw materials, semi-finished goods, and finished products for almost all causes of loss. So in, in other words, stock throughput forms can ensure that manufactured goods are covered at all times while they're in transit, undergoing a process such as assembly, right? Although it would be important to note that damage caused by the manufacturing process is explicitly excluded by a stock throughput policy, um, but it will also cover that property while it's in storage at owned or third-party locations. While conversely, your property form is only able to cover contents, including that same inventory and stock, from, co from covered causes of loss only, and only when those locations containing the inventory or stock are specifically scheduled on the policy form. Um, so in a nutshell, you're buying much broader coverage than what a property contents form provides, yet the rate um, is often very similar to the same rate that you're already paying on your um, on your standard property program. Um, so that's just one other nugget to um, to explore if you haven't already. And um, um, again, I, I hope that's uh, that's helpful, Mike and Carrie. Yeah, that's very very valuable information. We appreciate your time today, Chris. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yes, th thanks, Chris. We we really really appreciate it. It's great information. And uh, to everyone out there listening, uh, I hope you enjoyed today's uh, presentation and all this content. To learn more about James Moore and Company's manufacturing services, go to jmco.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our More on Manufacturing series to receive updates when new videos and podcasts are released. If you'd like to be a guest, or if there's a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, contact us on our website. You can also follow us on social media for more news as the landscape on manufacturing continues to rapidly evolve.